0: And it's this bigger than me right. bigger than me. Um, and we're going to talk about that a lot throughout the year in different time at different times and in different ways. Um, but today we're going to start with the heart of where this theme was um, it, it, that this theme was founded and cultivated in. and it was actually interesting because it was I don't remember what month, but it was sometime later in the fall of last year of 2023 after we were praying on a Sunday morning so it was 9 30 was the end of it um and I just remember going into the office and just being so filled with a uh just what I felt was God saying this is where the church needs to go for the new year and I was like oh cool got a head start it's still 2023 and I got a couple months to go um, and then I remember Pastor Chase came in and I just immediately talked with him about some of what the Lord was laying on my heart. And I continued to just let it percolate and, and, and just work its way through me and, and discern what the Lord's will was. And then at our board meeting at the beginning of this month, I shared it with the board. And I said, I, I really believe that this is going to be a wonderful year. And in many ways, it's going to be so wonderful because we're going to have to face a lot of hardship. I, s- I said that to the board, because the original theme was rooted in the word of sacrifice, and it was rooted in the scripture of deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Y'all remember that? If you don't, it's okay, we're going to talk about it today. That w- that was the key verse that this theme was rooted in, um, that, that came about four months ago now, at this point, three months ago, something like that, um, and I just keep coming back to it and here today to stand before you to say that it is so clear that this is God's will for us, and I don't say that lightly, um, through the counsel of fellow believers and leadership, and above all else, the counsel of the Holy Spirit, I'm here to tell you today that we as a church need to understand that 2024 is a year that we need to learn that the gospel yes. and everything about serving Jesus is bigger than me. Yes. It's bigger than me. Yes, right. It's it, There's more to it than just <clears throat> me. Um so that being said let me just uh take a moment and if you can place both your feet on the ground you can put your hands in an act of submission and receptivity to the lord if you'd like to or you can put them together just take a couple of deep breaths Lord, today in this place, as always, we're here to receive from you and from your word. And Holy Spirit, only you can illuminate that word. And only you can give us the right hearts to receive that word. So Lord, today, I pray that the reception of your word would give such life to men and women in this place. And Lord, I pray that 2024 would be a year of great things for your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name that I pray these things. Amen. So Matthew chapter 16, starting in the verse, the 21st verse, and I'm going to read the, that verse and two that follow it, and you know it all real well. Um, let me read it for you. It says this. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me. Satan, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So you all remember that story, right? Uh, You're familiar with this story. You've heard it before. Um, So here in the 21st verse, Jesus makes plain what he had been hinting at previously. You remember, we actually talked about it all the way at the beginning of our uh, Thriving on empty series, Through Fasting, when we were at Jesus uh, talking about fasting with John's disciples, and they're like, Jesus, why don't you and your disciples fast? And Jesus uses this little parable of sorts to illustrate his teaching, and he says things about the bridegroom. He says, while the bridegroom is with you, you don't fast, but one day the bridegroom won't be with you, then the bridegroom. The people that are a part of the bridal party, then they will fast in mourning because of the absence of the bridegroom. Jesus was talking about himself following his death and then, of course, resurrection and ascension into heaven, but starting with his death. So Jesus was already alluding to this there. um, Not long before what we just read here in Matthew chapter 16, back in the 12th chapter, Jesus uses the example of Jonah, you all remember the story of Jonah, who was swallowed up by the whale, and he was in the belly of the whale. Jesus says in chapter 12, just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man must be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So he's not coming out straightforward and saying, I'm going to die yet, but he's alluding to it. He's, he's giving hints to it. And we don't know if the apostles were, were really picking up on it, and they just didn't want to hear it, or if they're just right over their head, like a lot of things went, and Jesus, I was like, how do you still not know what I'm teaching you? Um, I, I don't know what it was, but either way, Jesus hadn't forthrightly said it until this moment. Right here in this text, now Jesus pauses, and he says, I've got to tell you something straightforward and sincere. My role as the Messiah is going to result in my death that's the purpose of my role is to die and then be raised to life so this is jesus's understanding of his role but what we need to understand or be reminded of here today is that jesus's understanding of his role as messiah was vastly different than the jewish tradition of the messiah so what we just read About Peter rebuking Jesus, and then Jesus coming back and rebuking him, which we'll we'll get to in a moment. Um, I need you to understand that this is not something that's just unique to Peter. Um, It's unique in how he went about dealing with it. But his mindset—he's not a crazy guy that was far out in left field thinking something he shouldn't have been thinking. The majority of the Jews were expecting a Messiah to come as had potentially come in uh, the Maccabean Revolt and other Jewish revolts against the Roman Empire, where there was some sort of man of war that came up and rallied the people and defeated the Romans and established the Jewish Empire, even though it didn't become an empire. That was traditionally what the Jews were looking for. Not a suffering servant. Not somebody who was going to come and do amazing things and then die. That is anticlimactic to the Jewish tradition as they had interpreted the text. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to say their interpretation was wrong. Um, So it's not crazy of Peter to to be thinking this way when you compare it to the rest of his society and the rest of his tradition and the rest of his people. Um, But here's the deal. We, we, We can't just sugarcoat this we we can we need to empathize, but we can't sugarcoat it. All right. Um, so it's it's one thing to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but it's not helpful when you want Jesus to be a kind of Messiah. He was never meant to be. And I think we all know that that's a word that we need to hear today, right? When when we look at what's going on around the round in the world in in progressivism and, and liberalism, especially within the church, where. Jesus is no longer the way, and then he's a whole bunch of different types of ways and and stuff like that. Um, And those are the easy ones, I think, for us Christians to point out. I don't know what it might look like for you, and this is for you to discern with the help of the Holy Spirit in your hearts. But we still need to take this text and not say, yeah, those Christians doing it the bad way. Say It's tempting for me to even do that. But I have to say, Lord, what is my heart? And, and what am I missing? If I am missing anything, show it to me. So that's my advice to you in these moments, not to take a text like this and say, yeah, I see that in the world. What's it showing in your heart and in your life? Um, and is Jesus the Messiah that you profess, or is he a type of Messiah? that you profess? Is he your version of the Messiah that you want? Or is he who he was always meant to be? So let's jump into Peter's response. Um, Jesus says, I'm gonna die. This is the the purpose of my role as Messiah. And the text says that Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Um, so the, the NIV translate this very accurately. Um, the, the Greek language is trying to give almost this um, coaching mentorship moment. It's literally like a, hey, do, do you, I, I, I know you're our teacher and all that, but um, yeah, come on. Steps over here. He says, don't you ever say something like that again, Jesus. That's actually literally what he is saying. The word for rebuke here, is, is staunch. It is hard. It is not a light, Jesus, I see where you're coming from, but I, let me steer you back. It, Jesus, don't you ever talk like that again. Don't you ever, I don't ever want to hear anything like that coming out of your mouth again. Uh, the Greek for Hebrew is the same exact word that's used when it says in scripture that Jesus rebuked the winds and the waves to calm the raging seas. When he says, be quiet. It's the same rebuke that Jesus also uses when speaking to demonic spirits. Saying also, be quiet or come out of him. It's an utter rebuke that represents the idea of complete disassociation with the thing that you are faced with. Saying, I do not agree with that, I reject that, and I have a complete disconnect from I rebuke that. I'm not going to even entertain a discussion with that. That is the exact posture of Peter in this moment. It's, in one sense, let's step away from the rest of the disciples so I can have a conversation for you, and then when they get a little bit away, don't you ever say anything like that, Jesus. Ever. Now, he is Peter, so I guess it's not a surprise, but, uh, geez, man, I wonder... um, Peter's words indicate that he regards Jesus' understanding of his messianic role. Not as a purpose, but as a disaster waiting to happen. Not Messiah, but Peter's understanding of Jesus' understanding of his role. When Jesus said, I have to die, Peter says, we're on the same page, you're the Messiah, but your idea of the Messiah is totally wrong. Let's talk. Here's not what the Messiah is supposed to be. Harsh rebuke. Um, and quite literally, the, the idea of the language that's used here is, Jesus, your idea of your role is unthinkable. It's unthinkable. That, you can't think of yourself in that way, and that's how you have to conduct yourself as the messiah um, so let's just keep talking about peter for a little bit more um, the context of this setting and this message um, not too long before this in fact just very recently before these events are recorded jesus is in the region of caesarea philippi with his disciples including peter and one night he comes to them and he just starts asking them the question um, based on your ministry and your interactions and discussions with people um who do they say that I am? And then they give the, the, the report and they say, well, some people are saying you're John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah or like one of the prophets. So you are a great miracle worker, prophetic speaking teacher and all that. Um, that's that's the report. And Jesus, is like, all right, cool. Um, who do you say I am? What about you? That's what other people say, who do you view me as? From your mouth, who do you say I am? And Peter, speaking up as the advocate on behalf of all of the disciples, says, you're the Messiah. You're the Messiah. And then Jesus gives Peter and all the disciples a charge, saying that it's upon Peter, Cephas, which means rock, upon this rock I will build my church. So there's something significant there that Jesus is giving a blessing and a charge and bestowing authority on Peter as part of the bedrock of the the inception of the church, the start of the Christian church that we today are standing on and living on today. It started with this. This is a profound moment, a beautiful moment, a life-changing moment where Jesus is giving calling to the apostles in direction to them and he says Peter rock it's upon you and the men around you and people like you i'm going to build this church because you recognize who i am so that's what happened just before what we just read so now peter understands a little bit more his role his assignment the author he has been given authority by jesus He understands it a little bit more, and I can't help but wonder, is he now misusing a little bit of that authority? (laughs) Jesus, you just called me and showed me and told me, and so um, let me set you straight. Um, And he tries to, I I believe, we cannot be critical of Peter, too critical of Peter, because here's the deal, if we're too critical of Peter, trust me, I know, uh, then we are going to try and automatically associate ourselves with Jesus. And I think we gotta be real careful with doing that. Real careful. It's real easy to say, I'm not the Peter. It's real easy to do that. And to say, I'm Jesus. It's real easy for all of us to say, I'm the victim, not the victimizer. Um, so pause for a second and let's try to still understand, or, or let's keep trying to understand Peter a little bit. Um, I think he truly is admonishing Jesus, I don't think he's trying to be flippant. I don't think he's trying to be a wise guy. I think Peter truly believes in his heart because of his tradition and his upbringing and understanding and his newfound bestowed authority from Jesus himself, thinking I gotta step up and I gotta set him astray because he's going astray. I, I believe that was Peter. I don't think Peter had a willfully wicked heart in this moment. Um, th- that's my personal belief. And yet, as we just read, as Peter admonishes Jesus, the text shows us that he's sinking to new depths, listen, of human understanding. I'm not even mentioning the word depravity. That, that is a part of his conversation, but I don't even want to go so far as just say he's willfully stepping into sin. He's not even, I don't think, doing that. It's simply his mindset. It's his understanding. So that's what I'm saying. It's easy for us to condemn Peter if we overanalyze the text as him being a horrible sinful person that's just broken and, and debased and all that. Yeah, there's truth to that, no doubt. But I don't think that's what this is. I think this is simply his mindset just needs to be corrected in this moment. Um, so the Greek construct used here to uh, that, that has the words, this shall never happen to you, Peter speaking to Jesus. Never. Um, it's the utter negation of any sort of conduct that can be reflected in the greek language it is the absolute again no debate can be had based on the inflection of the word that's used here in the greek peter is not looking for a discussion with jesus he's simply stating no don't speak that way jesus not allowed um <sighs> Peter's trying to intervene on behalf of Jesus. Um, I, I truly see that Peter believes with every fiber of his being that he is doing the right thing. I, again, I do, I do. Um, and here's the reality. Please listen closely. It's a scary thing when we believe so much in our convictions. We miss the will of God. You understand that that's possible, right? Paul even talks about this in a different context and in a different setting to the Romans and even to the Corinthians. We're talking about scruples and a weaker brother and a stronger brother, and he's talking about their spirits and their minds. And he says, some of you don't have the Mosaic law that's weighing you down and shackling you down as a yoke anymore. You're liberated from that yoke. And so you don't have a problem doing things like eating food from the marketplace because you're not overly concerned about whether it's been sacrificed. Food's been sacrificed to idols. And he gives a teaching on when and when you shouldn't. And he says you are the stronger brother or sister because your mind isn't constantly filled with the idea that what I'm doing is sin. You're secure in your understanding of your salvation found in Jesus. But then there are other individuals. That, Paul says weaker-minded individuals who look at everything as You know, if you're not wearing a suit to church, you're a sinner, Um, that type of thing. If you're not reading from the KJV, you're a sinner or things like that, to contextualize it for us today. Um, Paul says that's the weaker-minded individual. If it's their conviction, let them have it. Don't get in the way of the conviction, whether you're the stronger or the weaker brother, but don't start imposing it upon each other. That is the key. Don't impose it upon each other. And in this moment, Peter's conviction is so strong that the Messiah is someone who's not going to die the way that Jesus is saying he's going to die, that his conviction causes him to completely miss the will of the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. So convictions, as important and necessary as they are, we also have to be careful of that we're not so caught up in our own convictions that it's been tainted, where it's no longer a divine understanding, but a human understanding. So, um, here's the deal. Jesus' response shows us that there's another person at work here, Satan. And let me, let me give you this point, and I would encourage you to write it down. Satan loves to hide behind convictions. Oh boy, does he love to hide behind convictions. Oh boy, does he love to hide behind convictions. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of manipulation that goes on behind the scenes of conviction, if not vetted through the will and the work of god Um, one biblical commentator said it this way jesus recognizes here his old enemy in a new and even more dangerous form for none are more formidable instruments of temptation than well-meaning friends who care more for comfort than character do you remember during the temptation of Jesus, who was the main antagonist? The devil, Satan, the same guy that's mentioned here that we just that we're reading about Satan. Um, and it was Satan face to face with Jesus trying to lead him astray. Yep. Now it's Peter who even in, again, I don't think a wicked heart, but a well-meaning attitude is trying to lead Jesus astray. And Jesus' response is telling, forthright. That's my adversary right there. Um, so let's now jump to Jesus' response, as we're already talking about. Um, so Jesus was in a teaching posture, to start it off, right? He's the rabbi, he's the teacher, he's teaching the disciples. And he teaches them what he teaches them about the necessity of his death as the Messiah. And Peter wants to change literally the posture. That's what the text is getting at here. He says, okay, that's where you're facing, you're teaching us. Jesus, come over here. Come over here. Don't ever talk like that, Jesus. So Brandon, come here for a second. I know I'm putting you on the spot. You're gonna do this to you. are gonna be Peter. Um, I want you to act this out with me, right? I'm teaching and I'm telling you, hey Brandon, guess what? I don't like pretending to be Jesus. (laughs) I don't don't like it. It feels wrong. Um, Jesus said that he's going to die. I have to die. As your Messiah, I have to die. But I'm going to be raised from the dead. Now, I want you, in your own way, act out what Peter did. You're Peter. Act it out right now. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you ever say that again. (laughs) Okay, stay right there. Stay right there. You heard what he said, right? He just said, don't you ever say that again, right? It was a rebuke. Stay there. Get behind me, Satan. This is is what the text is trying to give the imagery of. After Peter takes Jesus aside, he turns with his back to Peter, and where Peter was speaking privately to Jesus... Jesus now turns back to the rest for everybody to hear. Get behind me, Satan. Says Jesus turns. Brandon, thank you. You can have a seat. That's the imagery that's used here by the gospel writer that we need to have in our heads. Jesus' response was in like form and even harsher. Jesus was being harsh here. Um, Jesus's posture and the very words indicate a complete disagreement and disassociation with Peter's thinking. If you go back, it says in verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to what? Rebuke him. And then Jesus turned and said, it's the same word, rebuked him. So he's meeting him on the same ground of, Peter, what you are saying, I utterly reject right now. And I see my adversary right now, the same guy in the, in the wilderness, who wanted me to bow before him so that all the kingdoms of the earth would be mine. That same man is working through you right now. So Jesus reverses his posture. And he calls out Peter. And, and I, I really just, again, need you to understand the, the weight of this address, this rebuke of now Jesus to Peter. There is no parallel in Scripture that I have found at this point. That comes close to this type of rebuke, or that is at least on the same level. Think about it. John the Baptist, he calls it the Pharisees. as says, you brood of vipers. Woo, snakes. Yeah, that's, that's not a nice compliment. Um, that's pretty harsh. Um, uh, Jesus, he, he calls Herod at the time a fox. He's like, you fox? Like, I, I mean, maybe some could look at as a compliment, but like, he was meaning it as a slight and an insult. Um, he calls Israelites stiff-necked and unrepentant generation. Jesus has spoken harshly to people before. In fact, he has even gone so far as to refer to the Pharisees as children of the devil. He's talking about the devil is a liar and the father of lies. And he says, you're not the seed of Abraham. You're the seed of that father of lies. So you're, you're a child of the devil. That's harsh. But to one of his closest followers, he doesn't even call him a child of the devil he says you are the devil right now as far as i have read scripture at least from jesus in the gospels i have not found a harsher rebuke and in what a difficult circumstance because peter wasn't like a pharisee he wasn't actively trying to get jesus killed he wasn't trying to tear down his ministry he wasn't trying to be a sinful person I really believe he was standing upon his convictions of what he truly believed was the Messiah. He wasn't trying to be wicked. He was trying to maintain the righteousness of the coming of the Messiah here. And it was to that very attitude that Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. It's to that attitude. He goes on. And he calls him a stumbling block. He says, you're a stumbling block to me. Now remember remember the context of what happened just before this. What is Peter also called Cephas? Rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. A foundation. You are that foundation. And now he's using the words further to say, you're not the foundation right now. You are a cause of major concern right now. You are literally a stumbling block to me. I overcame my adversary when I was fasting in the wilderness, and now here he is once more standing before me as a wolf in sheep's clothing. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. So, again, the the word that's used to describe there is Strictly this, it's anthropos in the Greek, anthropos, which has a range of meanings, but everything comes back to the idea of human-centric. It has everything to do that is found within the inner being of a human, from the thinking to the belief system to the physiological composure. Anthropos, Jesus saying, you have in mind anthropos, human things, secular things things that are simply pertaining to you right now in this moment that do not have a connection with the divine. That's what you're thinking, your convictions are based on, not divine commands, but human concerns. And the devil is working through that. So here's the deal. Jesus' biggest advocate, I will argue Peter is Jesus' biggest advocate, became his biggest obstacle in this moment right here. And what Peter doesn't quite seem to understand, even though he has professed Jesus as the Messiah moments earlier, what he doesn't yet seem to understand is that you don't get the kingdom without the cross. You don't get the kingdom without the cross. And so now Jesus has to resume teaching after this awkward moment. And in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 27, he says this. This is the heart of our theme as a church for this year. It's based on this text right here. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciples, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world? Friends, families, accolades, attributes, money, status, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. I didn't include it here, but in the last verse of the section, He says, I tell you the truth, there are some standing here today who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming with glory, right? Now, it's the inverse the opposite of what that statement is getting at that's important for the context here there are some who will not taste death also implying the rest of you are going to taste death and so the heart of the teaching is are you going to take up your cross deny yourself take up your cross and follow me so jesus once again has to address a heart issue he just commissioned peter and the disciples to be these incredible leaders And he goes forward and he says, authority has been bestowed upon you. And then Peter just missteps. He missteps. Don't think he sins, but he missteps. But then Jesus has to harshly and swiftly rebuke him in such a severe way to get the point of cross. And then he's got to go right back to teaching. Right back to teaching. This is why I believe so strongly in teaching, why I believe it is the gift that God has given as a pastor teacher that must not be shirked from the church. We cannot stop teaching as a community and learning from the source, which is God's word. Uh, So that's why guys like me and Pastor Chase are here and Lord willing that God would give and bestow other individuals with the calling and the gift of teaching here in this place, which is not something to be taken lightly because Jesus continually has to teach. He gives rebuke and then teaching and then rebuke and then teaching and then rebuke and then teaching, miracles, teaching, miracles, teaching, miracles, teaching. And then he's just like, I'm done with all that. I'm just going to keep teaching and... uh, you guys just got to learn. Um, and Jesus teaches them here that if you really want to follow me, if you want, if you desire to be my disciples, to follow me, you have to first deny yourself. I'll close with this. Um, the theme of the year is that Everything about the kingdom of God, the gospel, life with Jesus, serving him, it's bigger than me. Um, there used to be a, a, a thing that was done back in the 17th and 18th centuries and probably before that, but some that have been recorded, uh, that was uh, a practice of missionaries. Missionaries that would go to other countries for the sake of the gospel sharing the gospel with individuals and tribes and peoples that have never heard the message of Jesus. And one common practice that was done amongst missionaries was that they would pack all of their belongings, all of their worldly possessions that they would need just to survive, in a coffin. In a coffin. Sounds kind of morbid, but you get the intent of it. They were going there without a return ticket, and they were going there with the intention that If, whenever, however it happens, I'm going to die for the sake of the gospel. That is the embodiment of this text. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you have to first deny yourself and then take up your cross and you have to follow me. The gospel is bigger than me. Can I encourage you to say that here with me right now? Here we go. The gospel is bigger than me. And Jesus is for you. Let me be the one to remind you and encourage you of that. He's for you. He loves you. He died for you. But it's not simply about you. It's bigger than you. He died for the world. Jesus came not for the healthy, but for the sick. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. And we'll get to the cross in days and weeks and months to come. But what I want you to understand right here, right now, from the outset, that I will say time and time again, please do not undermine the severity of this text by associating the cross with anything in your life short of death. I've heard it my whole life. Asthma is my cross. My spouse and living with them and trying to lead them to the Lord is my cross. Um, My sickness is my cross. Um, My children coming to the Lord and waiting for it and praying and waiting on it is my cross. That undermines the severity of what Jesus is trying to teach her. He's talking about death. I have to die. So I I cannot allow this moment of teaching to go by, Jesus speaking, I, I can't allow this moment to go by without teaching on the fact of what Peter is missing for all of you not to fall into the same camp of. This is not something that is light work. This is serious stuff. Guys, I'm going to die And if you want to follow me, you have to accept the fact that you better bring your coffin with you or your cross with you. And that demands that you first deny yourself. And that's where this comes in about not making it lesser than what Jesus is saying this is. I will give you this. You can use a scripture like Paul uses, Lord, I've been asking you to take this thorn from my side. You can use that. All right, I'll give you that one. You can have that one. Don't refer to it as your cross. Because then you're missing the heart right here. The heart of what Jesus is saying. If you want to follow me. If you want to follow me. If you're here today and you are or want to continue to follow Jesus, would you just raise your hand right now? I want to see and I want everybody to see. Okay. Then here's the text. If you want to continue to do that, deny yourself. Take up your cross to the point of death and follow him. The gospel is bigger than you. Yes, would you stand with me on your feet? Jesus, I know right now that you are speaking to our hearts. You are preparing our hearts. And Lord, I pray that we would continue to submit ourselves to your will in this moment. Jesus, even the most the, the best-intentioned individuals in this room, myself especially. Lord, I pray that you would search my heart as the pastor of this church. And I pray that you would create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. Let my vision be your vision. Let my will be your will and completely submissive to it. And Lord, I pray that for all of us, Jesus, if we have undermined the sanctity and the severity and the weight of who you are and our responsibility as your followers, right now I pray that you would just resurrect that in our hearts and in our minds. I pray that we would learn what it means to deny self, even to the point of death, to take up our cross and to follow you. Jesus, I pray that through Kingdom Builders 2024, we would recognize that it's bigger than me. It's bigger than me. I pray that through this church and its ministries, we would recognize it's bigger than me. It's bigger than me. Through our relationships with each other here and outside of here, would we recognize that when things are great and when things are horrible, it's bigger than me. Holy Spirit, I pray that the word that was shared here today from Matthew chapter 16. I pray that it would be solidified in our hearts, that it would be a banner that would guide and it would direct us for the year 2024. We wouldn't take it lightly, but we would honor it and we would submit to it at every turn and in every way. Father, I pray for blessing upon your people, this flock these sons and daughters right here in this place. I pray for blessing to be upon them. I pray for help to be with them. Sanctify them by the blood of the Lamb. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that the people of God agreed together and said, Amen and Amen. God bless you. Guess what? It's time for a business meeting. But bagels first. So if you want bagels, I think they're downstairs. If not, you'll see them on the table to your left on the way out, but otherwise downstairs. Grab some bagels, some butter, some cream cheese, and uh, we'll be back up in here in about...